Hello there, and welcome to the Bandroom Podcast. My name is Dylan Maddox. And I'm Kate Nishimura. And we just had the great pleasure of speaking with uh, oboist and composer extraordinaire Elizabeth Rom, uh, who is a wonderful, wonderful person, a wonderful uh, composer who uh, I've had the chance of, of doing her music numerous times. And I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just so glad that we got to, uh, you know, get her on the record here on the band room. Yeah, it was great. And uh, I, I met her in person once uh, at a concert featuring the Dennis Wick Canadian Wind Orchestra a couple of years ago when they were playing uh, one of my pieces and and one of her larger works as well. And yeah. it was really nice to reconnect and talk about music and uh, and all of the stories that she had to share. Yeah, and, and you'll hear lots about her, but you know, she she grew up in the United States of America and then later ended up moving to Canada and then we've now we've acclaimed her as a Canadian <laughs> and she is a Canadian. But uh but yeah, it's always great to watch you talk to a composer. I always find oh, it really? very interesting. Oh yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is a little different, like interviewing um someone who's a conductor or a performer maybe versus mm-hmm. somebody who uh whose experience I can relate to in a different kind of way. Um, yep. And specifically with with Elizabeth, uh, talking about writing tonal music, music that just that sounds nice and feels good to play. It it mm-hmm. was really great to uh, talk to her about that because that's mm-hmm. that's something I've certainly faced as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know you know Kate you know what would help us face some things. You know what? <laughs> What's that? Probably. <laughs> If if some people went and did us a favor, and what, what could that favor be? <laughs> well, if you could all, listeners, if you could do us a huge favor and head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, and give the Bandroom Podcast a rating and a review. This way we can uh, grow our community even more and help other people to find wonderful conversations like the one that we just had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everyone need if you don't know about Elizabeth Rump, you need to know about her, okay? Yeah. And you will after listening to this episode. And we want more people here, so go do the review, please, mm-hmm. and thank you. Mm-hmm. I said that in the most caring voice that I could. They're all <laughs> very important to me. Thank you for listening. Yes. Um, and speaking of people that are very important, mm-hmm. uh, this past Saturday, right? Yeah, well, yeah. since we've recorded this anyway, uh, we had our first patreon zoom hang it was a great uh, time to connect and kind of catch up and, and hear what you know what listeners of the band room do there was mm-hmm. you know uh, a composer there was a conductor mm-hmm. slash harpsichordist yeah. there was a pianist slash yeah. kate's fiance <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no it was it was nice it was just nice to hang out with you know people that, oh yeah like band music <laughs> yeah it's always it's always nice to talk to like-minded people and mm-hmm. We we had a great time. It was wonderful even just having a small group together like that. But we would also love to grow that grow it. Yeah. group a little bit it, as well. Yeah. And you can you can have access to that hang uh, for next month, which is April, uh, mm-hmm. by becoming a patron through Patreon. Uh, and you also have access to some really great bonus content, including episodes, um, and other things, uh, mm-hmm. some merchandise. If you, if you're inspired to reach that tier, um, yes. you can get your hands on a nice BRP, a coffee mug, which mm-hmm. is great. Um, and you can hear the bonus episode that we recorded today, which was super <laughs> uh, fun. <laughs> uh, yes, Elizabeth uh, shared some um, some conductor stories, yeah. as well as I, for the first time ever, <laughs> shared a very embarrassing story that involves. Um, Elizabeth's daughter, Erica Rahm, who's a very famous violin soloist, um, and, and my first time working with her. So you can hear that bonus episode <laughs> by checking out patreon.com slash bandroompod, where you can help um, support the Bandroom Podcast and join our Patreon community. And speaking of joining our Patreon community, I just want to share something. Sometimes we share a review of the month or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Um, but this uh, is one of our patrons, a wonderful person, Megan Harton, who is a, a composer herself, um, soon to graduate from Wilfrid Laurier University, mm-hmm. um, which is a wonderful school. Um, but she sent us this message um, and I just wanted to read it 
and and she also allowed us permission to read <laughs> on on the air. Yeah. Um, so so Megan says hello. This is uh, going to be kind of random, <laughs> but I, I got behind in a couple episodes and just finished listening to the one with Kenley Christofferson, and now I'm all cut up on BRP content. But I had to say, while listening to that episode, I had a bit of a breakthrough on a piece that I've been trying to write for the, for the last six plus months or so. Um, I cannot relate, but I'm sure Kate can. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, and just wanted to share that great interview and insightful conversation. Aw, that's wonderful. Thank you for that message, Megan. That yeah, that episode with feels. Kenley was, was awesome, actually. Uh, I Listening back to it some, somewhat recently, I, I remember mm-hmm. thinking, yeah, he's just, he's just so fantastic. And I'm not surprised that that conversation inspired someone to get back into a project. So that's really, really awesome. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm glad. I'm glad that we could play a little, little tiny part <laughs> in your your inspiration and in your creation. So that's, that's very exciting. Speaking of inspiration, here is our conversation with Elizabeth Rong. Hey, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Band Room Podcast. This week, we have a very exciting special guest, uh, oboist and composer, Elizabeth Rom. Elizabeth, welcome to the Band Room. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're really excited to speak with you today about uh, the wealth of experience that you bring to the music world. And to start off, although we claim you as our own here in Canada. This isn't where your musical journey started. So where, why, and how did your musical journey begin? Well, my mother uh, was. She, she died, she was 101 and still playing. Goodness. If you can imagine, uh, she, in fact, uh, a week before she died, she led the sing-along at the home that she was staying at. She oh, was wow. an amazing musician. My father was also an amateur tenor and played the piano. In fact, mm-hmm. he learned to play the piano from his mother who played in uh, the silent movies. Oh. And, and he learned uh, from the, the, her books. So uh, I, there was music in the house all the time. Uh, I started the oboe when I was 11 because the band, well, we all had to play an instrument. And they needed an oboe player. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought an oboe was a bassoon. <laughs> I, I, I just didn't want to play that great big thing. You know, that was small. And when the band director brought over the oboe, I thought, it looks just like the clarinet my brother mm-hmm. plays. And uh, so I was happy to play that. But, you know, oboe is not an easy instrument, mainly because of the reeds. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I uh, continued on. And when I was 14, I played in community orchestras there. They were good community orchestras. And I remember finishing a concert we did Beethoven's fifth and I was playing first oboe and I thought I want to do this I looked at, I remember looking at my oboe and thinking I wonder if I could do this for the rest of my life you know I didn't really know professional musicians and right. yes I could so later on I went to Eastman and was an oboe major uh, at Eastman I studied theory advanced mm-hmm. theory and I took one course that was called Composition for Non-Majors. Okay. And that was all the, the background I had. Uh, however, when I was much younger, when I was um, oh, 14, 15 and on, I would write music of, on my own. Mm-hmm. But I still, it was just something I was driven to do. But I never, ever imagined that I would end up composing. Mm-hmm. Then um, in 1968, my husband, uh, he was also at Eastman. We lived in Boston at, okay. at that time. There was an ad for principal oboe and principal trombone in the Atlantic Symphony Orchestra, which serviced all of uh, the Atlantic provinces. It was the mm-hmm. precursor to Symphony Nova Scotia. Yeah, so my we, old stomping grounds. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm oh. from Prince Edward Island. <laughs> then you, no, you wouldn't have heard us. You're too young. <laughs> but anyway, because we used to play there. We played at PEI. We had to go across on the ferry. Yeah. And uh, we used to fly to Newfoundland. We went to all the New Brunswick provinces and right. uh, all of Nova Scotia. 
And um, we both made the position. I was principal, although he was principal trombone. So that's that's how I started. Mm-hmm. However, I had two children by the time we went. I started young. <laughs> and then I had Erica. Uh, and that was three children, which uh, we were on the road all the time. We toured 11 weeks out of the year, you know, when you break them up, because we had to service all of the provinces. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, it got to the point where I felt like other people were bringing up the children. Uh, and so I decided to resign. And I did. I resigned. It was um, a situation where, where one salary wasn't really enough. Mm-hmm. And then there was an opening in the University of Regina for someone to teach lower brass in theory. And Richard applied for it, got the job, so we went to Regina. So I went from being principal oboe in the Atlantic Symphony. We gave more concerts than any other orchestra in Canada at that mm-hmm. time. Okay. Because we also, we were one of the few orchestras, I think there were only two, that had a full-time CBC contract. Plus oh, all right. these contracts we did on tour. Plus God knows how many children's concerts we gave. <laughs> so we, uh, we were working pretty hard. And mm-hmm. we went to, um, to uh, Regina. I went from full-time playing to housewife. and that left a great big gaping hole (laughs) in my day uh so i and it never ever occurred to me to compose as anything serious because women just i didn't know any they didn't Mm -hmm. so i got together with the um uh the um well he taught theory and composition tom schuler at the university of regina and um we decided we were going to write Schudel and Rom hits, we call it. <laughs> he wrote a tune, he gave me a tune, and I would write words to it. And we actually, we had a good friend who was a, a really good pop singer, and they recorded them for us. He took them down to Nashville, didn't sell one of them. <laughs> you know, you really can't sell. And anyhow, so we, we weren't very successful, but he, uh, we, we thought, well, maybe we'll try something in our own fields, classical. We'll try an opera. And so I wrote a libretto, <laughs> the final bit, yeah. And uh, a year went by, and he never, uh, he, he didn't do anything with it. He just wasn't wasn't comfortable doing that kind of thing. And he said, well, why don't you write it? He said to me, I don't need write an opera. I'll give it a try. So I did. I, I took one of the arias, and I thought, this is composing? You just write what you want to hear? Because I don't know what I thought it was before. Some mystical thing, you know, that from from the spheres or something that came down to you, especially right. if you were a man. <laughs> anyway, so I, I, I wrote that, and that went well, and I enjoyed it. In fact, I enjoyed it so much that um, I couldn't stop. And that was it. It was, it was uh, I, I was hooked. And that's how I got started. And awesome. uh, then... A bit later, I was playing second oboe in um, the Regina Symphony. Right. The principal oboe uh, got a job in London, in London, Ontario, okay. and that left an opening. And then I uh, auditioned and got the job. And so, but by now the kids they didn't need someone at home, so mm-hmm. everything was fine. Right. <laughs> so back, back to the orchestra. Back to the orchestra. Yeah. yeah. No, so now I, I had two things going. <laughs> yeah, that's true, and I, it's it's so f- I know it's not funny, but it's it's so interesting to to talk to people that I you know I've gotten to know just a little bit over the years, and and th- to think that I am like oh yeah they probably took the regular old path that everyone took to become a composer yeah. or a conductor or whatever, but like I would have never guessed <laughs> the path that you told us just now, and yeah. it, and it's so interesting to hear how many different ways there is to to getting into whatever you end up doing, yeah, um, and uh, yeah yeah, and I was really it was it was it's been fun reading uh, about kind of your your story more and like you even you were you played in the charlottetown festival as well right oh yeah yeah that yeah. was when you're in halifax uh you, you almost automatically would play in the shows yeah. in fact the uh one of the the singers there don mcmanus sang in my production of garden of alice the first okay. one that was at the globe theater Very oh, so small world a lot small of world. It, it is there were a lot of connections <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah 
And uh, and as you just mentioned, you, you know, you spent the majority of your career as a as a professional oboist, yes. and uh, and I know that as you mentioned, composition professionally entered your life uh, very much late. I think you was it thirty five. Thirty five, around thirty five. Yeah. yeah, and then and uh, you also mentioned you know that course at Eastman, but uh, what what was it like whenever you were younger? Because I know you composed a bit whenever you were younger uh, yeah. on the on the piano. Could you, could yeah. you tell yeah. us about that those early? compositional experiences? There's not much to tell about because <laughs> um, I did it myself. And if I played it for anyone, they, they, it's a funny thing. My mother never was interested in my music, even though she was a, a, a pianist. My father would listen, but it was not at all serious. It was just a kid thing, you know, like kids drawing pictures. That, yeah. that really didn't come into it, except that that's when I first realized how much I liked putting notes together to make music. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's no like there's no hidden Elizabeth Rom manuscripts with crayons. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find them. I know they exist. Yeah, maybe they're somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to just Hop in because I'm I'm curious. Uh, you know, you didn't study composition in a formal way other than maybe that one course, and it was always something that you just did out of the enjoyment of doing it. Was there anything that shifted when you started to consider yourself as a composer, as a title? You know, and like what what prompted you to kind of make that move and take it a bit more seriously, or 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 do you consider that? You know, yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I um. In the beginning, I didn't think of myself as a composer, uh, and I, I thought of my, I thought, you mentioned about it being a hobby. It was a hobby, and I, I remember thinking, I really love doing this. When I don't love it, then I'm going to stop doing it, when it's no longer a drive within. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how hobbies are. Sometimes I look at the Internet, and I, I see programs that people have come up with, Audacity, for instance. They're free programs. Why do people do that? Why do they set them up? There are so many things that people do that they do because they love to do it. Mm -hmm. And that was the same thing with the music. And I thought, when I don't like doing this, then I'll stop. But I never stopped like doing it. In (laughs) fact, when I start writing, (laughs) yeah, when I start writing something, and I'm sure you're the same way, um, you just, there's, there's a satisfaction about putting things together that you know sound good and you have control over. And you have the ability to put them together. Yeah. And of course, yeah. the computer makes it so much easier. You know, in the old days, I, I had to do it with a pencil. And cut and paste meant really cut and paste with the scissors and tape. And if you wanted to add eight measures into your piece, you couldn't just insert. You yeah. had to cut your thing and you had to paste it. And I used to have all these little symbols. I looked at some of my early stuff. <laughs> and I thought, how did I decipher this? Yeah, but you you do, and then I would do the thing lightly in pencil, the final version, and then I could erase a little easier, right? And then I would ink it over, and I I uh, practiced calligraphy. I had the pen nibs and everything, so it was so much more laborious. I don't know if I could go back to that actually. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a totally different world now. I mean, personally, I still write a lot of my music out by hand, not for publication, but just during the process of of um, yes, coming up yeah. with new music, right? Um, yeah. But if I had to create the whole conductor's score and all of the parts for the entire ensemble and do all of that with, with you know, paper and ink or pencil, that would just be such a longer process. <laughs> oh, it is. But at the same time, it makes you think. You know, you're, um, it makes me think of, of writers who, are there any writers who still write longhand? Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. As opposed to typing, I, yeah. Typing as opposed to the, the uh, computer. Yeah. In fact, I remember when the computer started and they had word processors, and I hated it. I hated it because, <laughs> um, well, my first uh, Apple computer, it, um, it didn't have a hard drive. <laughs> it would crash and I'd lose everything. Right. Oh, um, no. and, and so I said uh, to my son, you know, I want, I want a word processor and he picked me out a computer, and I was so angry at him. I said, I don't want a computer. I hate computers. And now I can't believe I was so short-sighted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should have seen into the future. I want to dive yeah. just a little bit 
a little bit deeper because I know you mentioned uh, your time in Regina, but you ended up actually going back and, and doing your master's in composition at the University yeah. of Regina. Um, and it was, and did you, and I read somewhere that you actually started doing a bachelor of education, but it, it, they wouldn't let you do it the way well, you wanted to. Yeah, they, they, um, I, I couldn't do it all day because, you know, I had the same problem with the kids. So yeah. I, I said, can I go to night school? Can I do no, nothing at all. They wouldn't allow me to do anything. Okay. So uh, at that time, they did not have a master's of composition. So mm -hmm. I got my friend, Tom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he allowed me in as a master's of composition. But, you know, we didn't, we just worked, we just had fun together. We had coffee, right. more, more or less. He showed <laughs> me uh, how to use, um, what was it, Performa. P-E-R-F-O-R-M-A. Do you remember mm -hmm. that, that program? Probably not. I don't even know if it still exists. Uh, and um, I did hire someone to teach me um, how to use it. Well, that was that first computer thing, and I, I got rid of it. <laughs> but um, uh, he did show me how to use Finale mm -hmm. in the beginning, and he showed me how to write a whole, um, whole thing, not a whole thing, um, 12 tone, okay. you know, how to oh. set up the graph. Kind of right. Thing. Yeah. And and that was pretty much all. So the rest of it, we just got together and just talked about music. And yeah. I I watched what he did, but I was really uh, pretty much self taught. Yeah. Right. He it, it was awkward because we were friends and colleagues. Uh, right. Sort of a, a, <laughs> a do it, it yourself degree. <laughs> pretty well, yes. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it's 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 so interesting. Once again, talk about, you know, talk about composers' paths. Like that final bid opera that you were talking about ended up getting picked up by CBC and then that kind of launched you, yeah. right? That's Not right. many composers can say it was my first my first big piece was an opera. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. That was the first thing I wrote because, you know, I, I uh, Tom and I were going to do it together and he didn't, so I right. did it. And the second thing I wrote was a brass quartet, which is now a quintet. Okay. Great. Yeah. Dylan's excited my people, about my people, brass music. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad that you married a trombonist. This is <laughs> the world's a better place. <laughs> well, um, you know, it's clear that you're prolific as a composer in the sense of, of writing many, many works for winds, uh, concertos, solo pieces, chamber works, works for band. What led you to begin writing for winds? And as a wind player yourself, do you find that writing for winds comes to you more naturally? Um, I, I just write for whatever the situation calls for. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. I never really thought of it as being different. Now, keep in mind, I'm lucky. In my family, I have a violinist, so there's right. a string player, mm -hmm. give me tips. I have a, tr a trombone player, so it's a brass player. I'm a woodwind player. My other daughter is a percussionist, or was. She was a very good percussionist. Mm -hmm. She uh, gave up music. Um, I also was very fortunate in that I played in the, uh, it was the Regina Symphony Chamber Players. And every time I had a question about any of the, my writing, I would ask them. Yeah. And they were very generous about saying, you know, if you just change this one note, it, it's easy to play and it didn't make any difference musically. So I was very lucky that way. Yeah. I really think the, one of the best ways to learn about how to write for other instruments other than the ones that you play yourself is to listen to those instruments being played and to actually ask questions of those yes, musicians, right. right. To understand what, what's comfortable for you or, or what are the, what's the range that kind of gets awkward for you. And it sounds like That's you were right. surrounded by, by people who could help you out with that, for sure. And I was, and they would play things for me. They were really good that way. Yeah. I was very lucky. That's very helpful. And, and speaking of, of I, already, I already joked about it, but your husband being a trombonist, you ended up, you know, you're a, you're a beloved composer in the brass world. And, <laughs> and, and specifically one instrument in particular that tuba. maybe some people wouldn't guess. Yeah, the tuba. I know. Could you talk about how that got started and, and to what acclaim that you achieved that no other Canadian oboist has achieved? <laughs> right. if, you know what? I, I'm, I'm the only um, woman Canadian oboist composer who has been on the cover of the Tuba iTech uh, uh, Journal. <laughs> That's and pretty that awesome. Happened, 
<laughs> oh, it was. It was hilarious. And the, the picture was me with my elbow because they asked me for a picture. I didn't know that this was going to be um, you know, highlighted in the magazine. They asked me for a picture. And the only picture I had was the one that I got. I had from the Regina Symphony Chamber Players of right. me with my elbow. So there I was on the cover <laughs> of the Tuba Journal with my elbow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, John Griffiths was uh, uh, very very well-respected, wonderful tuba player, and he lived in Regina. He was actually the first person, I think, that recognized that I could write good music. Okay. Because up to then, it was a little bit of a joke that Betsy Rahm, uh, oboist, oh yeah, uh, was, was trying to write music. Hmm. And um, people would chuckle at that. Don't forget the times. Yeah. And, well, you and showed then, them. Yeah, I showed them. <laughs> but John, John right away, in fact, I got a CBC commission, and John asked me to write a tuba concerto, which I did, Legend of Heimdall. And that's actually the name of one of the CDs. We went to Russia to record it. John was, he was so well-respected in the tuba world. He went to um, one of the tuba conferences in Italy where Roger Bobo, now I don't know if you've heard of Roger Bobo, you would have, yeah. He's very, very famous. In fact, he was just on, uh, they had another event like this, and he was on, and when I he saw my picture, he started singing my concerto. Oh. <laughs> I was so flattered. That's anyway, nice. it was. Um, he heard John. John played this for him, and John said he sat there for the longest time, and John thought, did, did I not do well? And then Roger said, who's this composer? And the next thing you know, he was asking me if I would orchestrate it, and he would play with, it, with the Minneapolis Pops. At the next tuba wow. conference, well, you better believe I did. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's and, the kind um, of thing you say yes to. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So I, I have a, a definite relationship with tubas, and I love the tuba. It's such a powerful instrument. John had originally wanted me to write funny things, and I said, "Well, the tuba is not funny. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. It's heroic." Because I've always heard the tuba is that way. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a, the bass voice of the brass family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure all the that's tuba players out there are going to be really, really happy to have yeah, heard you our, say all that. All our tuba fans. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. So is this is this cover? Do you have it like framed on your wall at your house or anything? <laughs> the 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 cover of of um, of iTech, yeah. Oh, I have it. It's it's in a closet. No, I don't okay. have it. Framed. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's not on display. <laughs> well, the yeah. thing is, no, it's just that it's that picture that I have of of me holding the elbow. Right. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. I just find that so it's the best story. It is very funny. And Roger Bobo, like Roger Bobo, for those that don't know, like he was one of the few, very few like international tuba soloists, was on Johnny Carson. Yes, you, know. you can still see that. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Maybe we'll yeah. link it. Maybe we'll link it to the. Oh, the that'd be great. Oh, he, yeah. he's an amazing man. Just yeah. amazing. And still going and doing a lot of great teaching. He still. is. Yeah. Well, I just saw him. It was about two weeks ago. The, the Trombone uh, Association has a similar show to this. Okay. And Roger was, was uh, I, 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 uh, they invite me to come and watch. It's trombones, but this time they had Roger on. They've had, like, like Joe Alessi on. Joe Alessi is the most mm-hmm. incredible trombone player I've ever heard. Uh, but but um, Roger was on this time. And, and as I said, as soon as he saw my picture come up, he started singing my concerto. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There oh, you go. That's awesome. I'm I'm interested um, as a, also as a performer who does something else. Um, how how does Elizabeth Rom the performer influence Elizabeth Rom the composer, or is that even? Oh yeah, I even that be saying they're two it. different people. No, no, it comes into it. Okay. In that, I don't like to write something that's going to be uncomfortable for the player right. because I hate playing. You know, sometimes I wonder if Ravel feels guilty because of a bolero. <laughs> The, the trombone solo. Do you so know <laughs> they don't they don't play a note. They don't play anything until yeah. that solo. Yeah. So they all play the five one fifth. That thought. You know they they warm up a little bit on that. Right. But uh, how many trombone players have had their whole year ruined because they're worried about that? You know, yeah. I, I would never want to do something like that. Yeah. I also because I'm married to a trombone player. I hear all the complaints when we do operas. I sit here for the whole two hours and I play the last note. You know, I don't, I don't want to do that. And mm-hmm. so I, I'm kind of careful about giving people something at least to make sure their instrument is still playing mm-hmm. and it's comfortable. 
that yeah. their solos aren't ridiculously uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think it's a just, you know, seeing you as an example and it's advice that I was told, you know, become the best performer you can be before you decide that you're going to go be a conductor or a composer or whatever it's going to be. Uh, and just hearing you talk about the, you know, wanting to, everything to be comfortable, uh, yeah. you know, that comes from that. So it's it's really nice to hear a real a real life example. Yeah. Remember that, kids? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. You want to keep your performers happy, right? And engaged and, and enjoying what they're doing. Yeah. They're the, they're the ones that are realizing your music. Without them, you're nobody. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and if they enjoy playing the music, then maybe they'll want to play it again and that will lead to more performances, right? So I That's right. totally agree. Totally agree. So this is kind of fun. We found um, an entry in the Canadian Encyclopedia about you and it states that your music is, I'm gonna do air quotes here, unabashedly conservative, tonal, tuneful, lighthearted and programmatic. And it also says that you are skeptical of most avant-garde music and philosophy. Personally, I and, and we think that this is awesome. Uh, I'm also a composer who likes to write tonal, aesthetically pleasing music that is comfortable for the players. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell us why I know you, you started to mention a little bit about just wanting to keep the performers happy, but why is it important to you to write tonal, accessible music? Well, um, I think that's what music is all about, frankly. When you get too far into the avant-garde, you're moving into philosophy, not music, for me. Mm -hmm. A lot of uh, composers, I think, feel philosophy is more important than the sound. Uh, than the music, but mm -hmm. I don't. Yeah, for instance, uh, John Cage, what is it, four minutes, 33 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> now, they've done an awful lot with that. He sold copies of it, and a lot of copies, and yet it's, you know, it's not music. It just isn't. I have been in situations where uh, the music doesn't have a note in it, and people take it seriously. They have descriptions, mm -hmm. and the person, the performer is supposed to improvise, and I always say, well, then you're the composer, not the description. Yeah. So I, I am very skeptical of music that is um, more philosophy than music. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and I've also, uh, you know, I've, I've read that you like you really want, well, you already kind of mentioned it, but with musicians being comfortable, but having an opportunity to actually play a phrase that they don't have yeah. to like super, you know, stretch yeah. their minds to the outer limits to play the phrase. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, another thing, too, I came, when I first started, I was like everyone else uh, as a beginner, and I wanted to fit. Mm -hmm. And, of course, avant-garde, then you're part of the, the group, you know what I mean. And I um, went to, I, I had always been told that I just didn't hear it played properly. Well, I went to Scotiafest when mm -hmm. Velez was the, the prime yes. composer yeah. then. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm going to hear this music play great. Because, of course, that was the whole festival. And uh, after a while, it all seemed to sound the same. It all it angry, dissonant, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and uh, very, very complicated. The musicians took, for instance, there was a competition, and the fellow that won said he, um, every single note was written. And Erica was in the orchestra, and she says, that's what he thought. Because <laughs> they were making things up because they couldn't. It was unplayable, yeah. an awful lot of it. Now, in the middle of this festival, uh, there was a Beethoven string quartet. I don't know how that got in there, but as soon as I heard that, that was it. You know, I thought, okay. You know. And you could have had program notes. You always need program notes yeah. for avant-garde, or, or it doesn't mean anything. But the program mm -hmm. notes sort of give it meaning. And I thought, you know, I could write program notes for that Beethoven string quartet that would be as imaginative as the program notes that were for all the other music. Mm -hmm. But I didn't need them. I just listened to the quartet. And that, that, that was when I, the turnaround, the whole turnaround, that's when I decided I just didn't, I didn't want to write um, yeah. avant-garde. Right. Yeah. I, and I, I know there are a lot of people that would disagree. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Oh, no, just that I, I respect that so much because yeah. that's how I operate, too. And personally, yeah, I've encountered a lot of people, peers, colleagues of mine who have disagreed with that approach. Um, that's right. And, you know, I've been told that my music is 
too pretty and and too, too simple. Too pretty, I know. You know, and like, I would say thank you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So thank you for doing for doing what you do. You're you're paving you the path too. for people like me. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting conversation, and I know um, I heard somewhere somewhere at one of our past guests, uh, Cynthia Johnson Turner, was talking about it, and she's uh, recently she's a, a director of bands at the University of Georgia. So she's been doing these collaborations with local hip hop artists, oh. and um, she was she met with them. And uh, they were talking about, you know, just the comparisons and in, in how they work. And there was a, one of the composition faculty from the University of Georgia that was talking to some of some of the hip hop artists. And um, at one point, one of the hip hop artists asked uh, Dr. Turner, what's a what's a pops concert? And she had to go, well, it's it's whenever we play music that people want to hear. Um, it's 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 music that's really uh, and she just didn't know how to explain it. And, it, yeah. and it's especially in the wind ensemble world, I find we're we're very guilty of you know music being hard for, just for to, for hard sake, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, no other yeah. reason. <laughs> but it is it's an interesting uh, thing to examine. Like why why do we do this to ourselves sometimes? But yeah, but yeah. and um, and speaking of of music making, the first time. I guess the first time I actually met you was the same time that Kate met you, and it was with the at the Dennis Wick uh, Canadian Wind Orchestra concert. Mm -hmm. but no, the you conducted my uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's the second time. Yeah. Yeah. Then the second time I met you, it was um, my Toronto then, Winds group was playing uh, Carmen the Passion, which is this lovely uh, version yeah. that you did for Wind Octet that I'm so grateful. It's just it's a great piece. Um, that that first time we were doing that Wind Octet with Toronto Winds, and I know it originated as a as a as a ballet uh, so i was wondering in in this new time where it's, it seems this covid inspired trend of of writing flexible and adaptable music what what is your process like whenever you're arranging an existing work uh down for maybe fewer numbers uh new instrumentation actually i've gone both ways i've, I've taken small works and made oh, them big okay. mm -hmm. big works and made them small i just uh, i'm sure you do the same thing kate you know you just you just set up your score and start, and the first couple of days is always difficult until you get the sound in your ear. Mm -hmm. And then once you get that sound, then it, it starts to flow. But it always takes. First, I pick what instrumentation I want, and right. um, for for the octet, that happened partly because I had all that music in the ballet and I wanted to use it, and I play in an octet called Ventilation. <laughs> Oh, it's a great name. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and they, they asked me, could I make a, a version of, of uh, write something for them? So I had already done it um, for a smaller orchestra, which we played with the chamber players, and then I made it for the octet. Okay. And, and like the, the clarinet um, fanfare in the opening was trumpet, of course. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, you yeah, have to instrument. think what's going to sound the same, you know, what's going to yeah. sound close. Yeah. No, I, th I think it's it's a great piece, and I and I really did. I want to mention that piece, and also uh, your international suite as well. Oh, yeah. These two. I'm gonna are... give you a funny story. <laughs> international suite reminded me of this, and contemporary music. Um, there was a contemporary group put out a call for scores, and there mm -hmm. it was an octet, and so I sent them this, and they selected it. Now I didn't realize just how contemporary this group was, um, and they they mixed and matched different uh, ensembles. It turned out it was supposed to be a very contemporary concert, but they finished it up with my piece, with uh, International Suite. Well, <laughs> the reviewer, the, the um, uh, person who organized it sent me a thing and said the reviewer was a little unkind. The reviewer spent almost the entire review complaining about my piece and saying how it ruined the rest of the concert for what? him. Yeah, he couldn't listen to anything else after that. My piece oh my had totally destroyed the concert. I, I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> but that was that, that kind of gives you an example of um, the, the mindset of people yeah. that like contemporary music. If it's not contemporary, then it's evil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's no. so interesting. I There has to be room for both, you know? I mean, I think it's okay. That oh, there yeah. Are, there are composers who like to write in in a contemporary style and i think that's fantastic if there are if there are audiences out there that are interested in that and students who are looking to learn new things but there's no sense in in uh you know demonizing nice sounding music oh i know 
I know if yeah. it's if it sounds good, then there's something wrong with you. And I right, really right. have suffered. I, I can't say suffered because in the early days I did. I thought I wasn't with it somehow. Now, you know, I just laugh at it. And also, I have to admit that it's the music is coming full circle. You must have noticed. And I think an awful lot of that has to do with uh, video game music. In fact, I, I just this isn't among your questions, but I want to bring it up. Yeah, sure. uh, I have a good friend who writes video game music. He's won BAFTAs. Uh, Jeremy Soul, have you heard of him? He's written, oh, just look him up. You won't believe how. Uh, anyhow, he heard my horn concerto many years ago, contacted me. He's been written up in Time Magazine, all these things. But his dream was to write music that would bring people back to Tchaikovsky and mm -hmm. and the, the uh, romantic composers by writing music and putting it in a setting that young people would listen to. Video mm -hmm. games, they, they listen to it. Yeah. They wouldn't go to a concert. And that was his yeah. dream. And I think it has worked because uh, the Regina Symphony actually played a concert of his music. He sent it up. He sent all the music up. Uh, he at, we were so lucky to get it before he became so incredibly famous that you know you wouldn't. <laughs> but uh, he sent it up. And we played a concert. The hall was packed with young kids. Yeah, that's. I think that has had so much to do with it. And now orchestras are playing movie music, mm -hmm. and they they'll screen. They'll show the movie behind the video game thing. I think all of that has done a lot to to bring music back to the tuneful, romantic. Yeah. Well, we we uh we had a, a composer uh, Kenley Christofferson on. Actually, it was Kate's first episode as 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 host. Yeah. Um, and he uh you know he writes band music. He's a high school music teacher as well in Manitoba. But he also is a video game composer mm -hmm. and doing a lot of of great work. And he's and just much like uh, who you mentioned, very 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 passionate about it. And for the exact reasons yeah. that you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, and how how much. Of, that, that for him as a as a child, how much impact that had on him musically, and, and inspired him to go on to have a career in music as a as an educator and composer. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. Sometimes you just have to meet people where they are, right? If 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 somebody if kids are interested in video games, maybe they wouldn't go to a classical music concert, but then you put some of that music in the background of the game and they're hearing it constantly because they're playing for hours and hours. Same goes for Sneaky. TV and movies and everything. Yes. Yeah, you just have to kind of, yeah, find a platform where you can reach a different sort of audience and then that brings them into to the world of music, which is really exciting. Yeah. Yes. I need to uh, ad admit something. Sometimes I... Uh, you know, we're coming up with questions and I sometimes I just come up dry. So I, I was thinking, who's in my phone that I can contact? And my future teacher, uh, Dr. Jason Kassler, happens to be from Saskatchewan. So I was like, hmm, I wonder if he would have any questions for Elizabeth Rom. So I <laughs> I, <laughs> I reached out and he said, I, I love her titles. I just oh. love the titles of her pieces. Oh, and nice. and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we're, we were wondering, are your titles used as inspiration for the music or do you choose a title after you've composed the piece? You know, I, I saw that in the questions and I had to really kind of give it some thought. <laughs> do you know how many romances and <laughs> fantasies and um, names like that I've, I've given to pieces? In fact, there was a big mix up at one point because I had too many romances and people weren't sure which romance they were getting. <laughs> So I kind of had to straighten it out somehow. Anyway, um, uh, generally, uh, I don't know. You know, like right now, I've, I've written a piece for trumpet, two pieces for trumpet that have yes, yet the to, concerto. Yeah, yeah, the concerto, and then another piece called Lines and tra Trajectories. Now that right. I I thought of the title, I actually both at the same time because you start with a line and then it moves. In different directions, mm -hmm. like a fugue, and I have the the movements that are going to be like that are like that. It's written, but of course the, the uh, uh, commissioner can't play it until the COVID's over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Neither can they for the the, the concerto. Yeah, they can't do it until. And the concerto, I wrote that because um, Michael Fedishin is a Ukrainian. Uh, that name is, I believe. And so he was going to give me some stories. He never did. So I just looked some things up. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I guess it, it just it just evolves. These things yeah. evolve. It's hard to say. 
and when I can't think of a name, I call it romance. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> That's I have the noticed that in, in the some of the RCM syllabi, there's a number of. Elizabeth Rom romances. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if it's the same piece you just rearranged, but they're different pieces. Oh yeah. Oh, they're, they're all different. They're all different. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Okay, good. <laughs> I thought it was the same one. <laughs> rearranged. That's that's what you know. That's the problem. Okay. That's the confusion that that yes. you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. See? <laughs> I'm guilty. I'm guilty. <laughs> but instead of calling a piece a fugue, you've got lines and trajectory. Maybe instead yeah, of that's right. yeah. romance, so you call it What's the instrumentation for that piece? Else. For lines and trajectories? Yeah. Um, I, I, I couldn't tell you. You know, it's funny. I'm sure you're the same, Kate. You just go into a different state of mind. You start thinking about it. I always like to have a picture of the person I'm writing for so I'm not in a vacuum. And also a, a recording of that person, anyhow, just to see the level and right. uh, get a feel for the person. Yeah. So that's, and then I start writing. And a lot of the time I, I write, uh, well, like this latest thing I'm working on now for harp, bassoon, and flute. And the, the flute player commissioned it. And she specifically wanted something about nature, about mm -hmm. Northern Ontario. So nice. I called it the Bridal Veil Falls. Oh, cool! And then pick things about that. So that that the, the title came first, right. and I had to think about what I was going to, how I could fit things, you know, make things work. Yeah, right. the titles. Well, yeah, that's really there. You go, Jason. Your answers, <laughs> yeah. your questions answered. Not your yeah. answers questioned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Sometimes I put up pictures of if I'm writing about a place, right, a, a landscape or something. I'll put up yeah. a photo so that I can kind of keep keep that in mind but i know you what you mean about being in a vacuum just you go into some other world yeah yeah, yeah yeah for sure um all right well we we did you touched on this a little bit earlier but i wanted to come back to it because it's important to me we've been talking a lot lately about the importance of representation in the music world and you know having role models and mentors that we can relate to that look like us that do things like what we want to do and personally, I didn't know of of many or any female composers when I first started, and I know this was the case for you too. Uh, I was just wondering if you could elaborate a bit about your experience with that, and and if your thoughts about you know being a woman composer now versus when you started, if that's changed at all. Oh, it sure has. <laughs> Are you kidding? You know, people want. To, uh, music by female composers now. There have been yeah. so many opportunities. I just can't believe it. Yeah. Feel kind of guilty a, a little bit. But um, in the early days, uh, like I said, it was kind of a joke. People laughed. This is like nineteen, what was it, seventy-five around mm -hmm. then, and nobody really took it seriously that I was. In fact, when I went to Eastman, um, women in music, uh, it wasn't that popular. Flute strings, harp. There were no women in the low brass, none. Mm -hmm. uh, the bass teacher was talking about not taking any more female students because they weren't strong enough. Oh, wow. <laughs> and yeah, I know there, there were so many restrictions. Um, so there were no female um, composition. You know, there, there is, I, I wanted to mention, there's a, a have you ever heard of Ruth? Ruth? Gips. Yeah, she has yeah. some really great work. She's for, amazing. Uh, wind quintet and double wind quintets. Yeah. She's she. I, I heard about her. I was in the car with my daughter, and this piece came on the radio, and I, I, I thought I'm gonna have to sit in the car until I find out who this is. Only <laughs> only Erica had um, Shazam, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and put up Shazam, and it said immediately what it was. Great. So I came back. I came home, and I looked her up. And what a wonderful composer she was. She had her music played a lot, but mm -hmm. but uh, she had the struggle. I you know people didn't take her seriously. Clara Schumann, um, yep. Fanny Mendelssohn. There are just so many that it goes on and on where they're not taken seriously. And Hildegard von Bingen had to be had to say she was getting her music dictated to her from God because otherwise uh, it, um, it was arrogant oh, for a woman yeah. to yeah. say that she was writing music. Right. So um, there, there were, I don't even know if I want to say there were problems because I didn't take myself seriously in the beginning. 
I was doing it because it was a hobby. Mm-hmm. And every time people played, I thought I was really lucky. Yeah. It's kind of evolved. Yeah. Do you still feel that way? Do you still feel that, you know, you're just sort of lucky if people play your music or has your relationship with, with that changed? Not really. I, I think it's in, uh, in, in my personality. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, when someone says they're going to play it, I'm really happy. Yeah, <laughs> me too, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember I was... Oh well, I forgot. To, I forgot to mention this. There was a, well, whenever you came to that Toronto Winds concert, and you mentioned, I because I emailed, I emailed you, I emailed uh, David Yeager and oh yeah, and 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 Conan uh, to see if, if if they could come. I think I think Conan Chan was the only one that that wasn't there. Actually, it was amazing to have that many composers in the audience. But I'm I've always been a bit, just a little bit starstruck of Elizabeth Rom. I need <laughs> really? to admit that. Oh, yes, well, just and, my, and my first time. <laughs> <laughs> Did I ever tell you this? My first time um, playing in an orchestra in Toronto was with the Scarborough Philharmonic. And I was, I just got, you know, I just came from the Maritimes. I didn't know anyone. <laughs> I didn't know anything. Um, so I was sitting there and my wonderful friend and colleague, Aaron Good, who's a trombonist, he went, hey, do you, do you know who that is playing oboe over there? <laughs> and I said, no, I have no idea. He's like, that's that's Elizabeth Rom. <laughs> and I went, Elizabeth who? Because <laughs> I, you know, I literally did not know anyone. And he's like, yeah, she wrote like a ton of trombone music. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And ever since that time, I, you know, I, I started listening to more of your music. And, and then I would see you occasionally at various yeah. you know, Toronto music events. And every time, Betsy, you, 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 uh, you were, I was starstruck. Oh, it's, well. it's the truth. <laughs> That's nice. I'm glad to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I want to, uh, uh, we have, we have, we're going to have one more question, official question here, and then the three of us are going to go uh, record a bonus episode for those of you that are part of our Patreon community, and um, so you can hear that if you want to go check that out. It is uh, patreon.com slash bandroompod, and you can hear various other bonus episodes. Kate and I just last weekend had our our, our uh, Patreon community hangout. So mm-hmm. some people came and asked us questions and we asked them questions and got to know uh, our, some of our community a little bit more, which mm-hmm. was fun. But you can hear some uh, some wonderful stories uh, from Elizabeth Rom if, if you want to do that. But before we do that, the final question. Drum roll, please. <laughs> Not really. uh, if you could give one piece of advice to up-and-coming composers, what would it be? Oh, gosh. Be true to yourself. Don't don't uh, give into a fad. You know, you might think you'll get more playing, more performances, or whatever, more grants <laughs> yeah. if if you give into a fad. But don't, you know, that's that's a piece of advice. If you do choose to go, you know, not be not be yourself. Yeah, that can only last so long before it catches up with you. Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. you don't enjoy it. It's no longer a hobby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's really well, great advice. I need to remember that myself. Uh, this this applies not just to composers, but I think to everybody, really. Be yourself, and um, it's easy to tell when somebody else is being genuine, right? You can usually tell yeah. when someone is doing something because it feels natural to them versus forcing it. So it's always a really good reminder to, to remember that. Yeah. So I want to uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be uh, – on the Bandroom podcast, it's, it's you know this. You've been on our list for so long, and then and finally we've 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 gotten to do this. So it, it's been such a treat to to learn a little bit more about you. And I I can't wait to share all of your stories and experiences <laughs> with our audience, and 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 hopefully uh, you know inspire some people. So thank mm-hmm. you so much, Betsy, for oh, for being my on the pleasure. podcast entirely. Yeah. <laughs> For this month's featured piece, we feature two movements from Elizabeth Rom's Suite from Carmen the Passion for Wind Octet. This work was originally a ballet commissioned by the Royal Winnipeg Ballet and later arranged into a suite for Rom's own wind octet ventilation. Uh, I wish we had time to play the whole piece for you, but we'll only have time to play two movements. We'll be playing movements five, Soldier's Dance, and movement six, Carmen and Escamillo. 
Um, and this is performed by the Toronto Winds, conducted by someone named Dylan Maddox. His name is. So I hope you enjoy this performance of Sweet from Carmen the Passion. Thank you. 
Thanks so much for spending time with us in the band room. If you want to learn more about anything that we discussed in today's episode, check out the links found on our website, bandroompod.com. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the Bandroom Podcast. Give us a rating and review and tell all your friends about how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, maybe you should consider donating to our Patreon page where you can support BRP and get some extra incentives in return. Or you can buy some sweet BRP merch, helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what's on the go. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website, bandroompod.com, and your comment might be featured in a future episode of BRP. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room. (laughs) 